You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min Football Network. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simiu. And on this edition, we're going to be discussing the news that Matteo Genduzzi will be signing for Marseille officially uh, come the end of the season. The deal uh, has been confirmed by Pablo Longoria, the club's president, during a recent show on RMC Sport. But we're going to be discussing whether or not Arsenal were wrong not to give Matteo Genduzzi another chance. Is this something that we will go on to regret or was it the right decision given the issues that Mikel Arteta experienced with the Frenchman? We're going to be getting into all of that on today's show as well as discussing Roman Abramovich's future at Chelsea. Now, I know that you might think on the surface, why does he want to talk about Roman Abramovich and his ownership of Chelsea? This is an Arsenal show. But Chelsea's emergence as a Premier League superpower, along with the then emergence of Manchester City as a Premier League superpower, and now the potential emergence of Newcastle United as a Premier League superpower, has really impacted on Arsenal directly. Because, you know, the objective of finishing in the Champions League qualification places has become increasingly difficult to achieve because there are now these superpowers in the Premier League who have the capability to spend far greater amounts of money than anybody else, which naturally makes it more difficult to compete with them. So I do want to touch on that. I do want to touch on what might uh, happen with Chelsea, how the future might look. Um, but the main focus will be, of course, the Gwendouzi chat. We're also going to take some of your questions towards the end of the show as well, as we always do, which I look forward to. Um, a few jokes in the uh, in the chat box about me being a few minutes late. Tariq says, by the time Harry's here, Spurs will have won a trophy. I weren't that long, mate. <laughs> um, and lots of you discussing the issue at hand with regards uh, to Matteo Genduzzi. Um, and there's a few really, really good points in there, which we'll come into or onto in a little minute. Um, El Scully says, first time I've ever caught you live. Well, welcome, mate. Welcome to the show. Uh, good to see you. We normally do go live at 5 p.m. on a weekday. Uh, there will be days where that isn't happening. It doesn't happen on Thursdays, for example, just because of other work commitments. But you can catch me on TalkSport 2 uh, tomorrow, Thursday afternoon, between 4 and 6 p.m. UK time. I'll be in the hot seat with Adi Oladipo talking through or the FA Cup action and looking ahead to the weekend's Premier League action as well, uh, which should be good. Uh, Henry Gunnar says, you got slaughtered H in the chat. Yeah, I really did, didn't I? Uh, but it's OK. We can live with it. Uh, Harvey says, hit the like button and subscribe. Yes, please do. It is very much appreciated. But let's um, let's dive into the chat. Let's talk Matteo Genduzzi. Now, as I say, Pablo Longoria, Marseille's president, has confirmed on RMC Sport that Marseille are taking up the option to buy the player, which was obviously triggered um, by a clause in the contract. He had to play a certain amount of games. And I did tell you guys when this deal was initially agreed that the terms in it, in terms of the clause, in terms of how many games he had to play for this uh, clause to be triggered, 
was very achievable. Now, I didn't know exactly how many games it was, um, as I said at the time, but I did know that it was something that was more than likely going to be achievable. And look, now we're in March and that trigger's already been, uh, or sorry, that clause has already been triggered. So um, it's clear that it was something that both sides felt was very, very achievable. And Marseille are going to take up the option to sign him. Now, he has signed a contract, according to the reports, until 2025. So it's a three-year deal from what we're led to believe. And apparently the fee is in the region of around about £9 million. Now, again, we can have a bit of a discussion about the fee. We can have a bit of a discussion uh, as to whether it's another example of Arsenal letting themselves down in terms of getting the right value for one of their players. But before we do that, let's talk about the individual. Let's talk about Matteo Genduzzi. And I have to say, when we signed him, I had very little expectations. We brought this guy in from Lorient, a young kid who played a lot of his career in the French, uh, you know, second league, second division, whatever you want to call it. Um, and my expectation for him was very low. He was someone that I looked at and felt would come in and would play a part in the future. You know, he was identified from what we're led to believe by Sven Mislintat, who we were told had a kind of had an eye for young talent and had an eye for identifying these players ahead of their explosion, meaning that you could get them uh, for cheap. And we brought him in and I think he was thrust into a position accidentally where he had to play more than Arsenal would have initially liked. Now, do I want to take anything away from him in terms of his performances? No, because I think every single one of us, when Matteo Guendouzi burst onto the scene, was taken aback was looking at this guy and thinking, wow, he's ready. He's a lot further down the progression line than I initially thought. He's a lot further down the progression line than I imagined. And so him playing as as, as a regular is not something strange. But there were just signs of immaturity. There were signs of him being a little bit raw. For example, I didn't think he used to manage uh, his kind of fitness very well, i.e. he'd go 100 miles an hour, um, and, and go full on in certain situations when he probably needed to pace himself at times. Again, comes with experience, comes with having an experienced head, maybe comes with having the right players alongside you as well. I thought the petulance was a bit of a problem. You know, I, I on the one hand, you love having a shithouse in your team. But on the other hand, there are times where it takes away from what that player is actually meant to be doing on the pitch. And, and, and in a lot of people's eyes, it kind of detracts from it, doesn't it? There'll be people that looked and went, well, Genduzi's super passionate and Genduzi's this and Genduzi's that and he's always the first one to get in the face of someone, et cetera, et cetera. But at the end of the day, at times, in my opinion, it was detracting from the fact that at times in midfield, he wasn't doing his job, i.e. he wasn't covering the right spaces. And I thought that tactically, on a few occasions, he let us down. Again, that's not to say that Guendouzi is a bad player. Overall, when you look at his performances in an Arsenal shirt, they were good. They were positive. And I really did feel that he had a big future at the club. But clearly, he is somebody who wasn't willing or wasn't able uh, to meet Mikel Arteta's requirements when it comes to discipline and when it comes to attitude. And at the end of the day, you know, we've been banging on and on and on for years and years and years about the broken culture about at this football club, about the fact that it's been like a holiday camp, that players have been able to get away with whatever they wanted without there ever really being any consequences. And Mikel Arteta took the uh, decision to discipline Matteo Genduzzi. Now, 
a lot of people point to the incident at Brighton and, you know, rightly so. I think he got too involved in a situation he didn't really need to get involved in. Um, you know, on the one hand, again, you're, you're kind of praising the shithousery, but by the other token, you're thinking, if you put all this focus and energy into your game, into tactically improving, into being more disciplined in your positioning sometimes, and in improving yourself in areas that would benefit the rest of the team, you could be one hell of a player. And that left me personally frustrated because I love all that side of it. And I love the fact that you've got players that care and, and they want to kind of, um, you know, they want to play with their heart on their sleeve and, and they really do care about what's going on and they defend their teammates. I love all of that. But when it starts to spill over, over and over again, and you're then not delivering what is required on the football pitch, which I think, although I've said his performances overall were very good, I think there were occasions where he just got sucked in to that side of the game and didn't really, um, you know, focus on what was at hand. And he just became a little bit distracted. That was frustrating for me. And because of that frustration, I started to go off Matteo Genduzzi. And so when I heard that, after the Brighton thing, he'd been left out and there was an incident supposedly in the Dubai training camp as well. Where he was caught uh, apparently taking the piss out of Mikel Arteta, having an argument with Mikel Arteta. Um, I wasn't surprised when he was bombed out of the squad. Now, with Matteo Genduzzi, you know, on the one hand, you're sitting there thinking, well, this is wasted potential. This is a guy who we know can achieve brilliant things if only can keep his head screwed on. But at the end of the day... Um, you know, it wasn't a major investment. We didn't pay big, big money for Matteo Genduzzi. And I guess Mikel Arteta has to be of the view that I'm not going to be forced to keep people in the squad or in and around the squad or in and around the club based on what is now looked at as a mistake made by the previous regime, i.e. signing Matteo Genduzzi. We are recuperating pretty much what we paid for him. So no harm done. You know, is there an argument? Is there an element of uh, what aboutery like with Matteo Genduzzi? Yeah, there is, because there's a part of you that will always think, what if he kept his head screwed on? What if he was able to kind of adapt to Mikel Arteta's way? What if he was able to remain focused? But he didn't. So it becomes a bit of a moot point. And he went off to Hertha Berlin. And from Hertha Berlin, we heard the same sort of things. We heard that Matteo Genduzzi is a bit of a child. I'm paraphrasing, but that's what a Hertha Berlin coach said. He's a bit of a child. And so then you start to think that actually this is not just me that thinks this. This is not just uh, a couple of people that think this. Matteo Genduzzi is somebody who's got a bit of a reputation for this. And I spoke to Jeremy Aliadier on this show a little while ago. At the time when all this Matteo Genduzzi stuff was going on and he spoke about training with him and being involved with him at Lorient towards the end of Ali Adier's career. And he spoke about the fact that he, he used to constantly look at Matteo Genduzzi and say, if this kid's head was screwed on, he'd be brilliant, but it isn't. And he always felt, he said, that his attitude was going to let him down. And I think, you know, look, Marseille is a big football club. And I'm not saying that, uh, you know, that Marseille is, is this you know, step down or, you know, the, the French League, granted, is not as strong as the Premier League. We all know that. It's not as strong as La Liga. It's not as strong as the Serie A. It's probably not even as strong as the Bundesliga overall. OK, but we all know 
that Marseille are a huge football club with a massive history. So he's at a big football club, but I just can't help but think he could be at Arsenal or somewhere even greater in terms of being in a more competitive league, being somewhere where he's going to be in the spotlight more, if only he sorted his head out. And he hasn't. So at the end of the day, you know, we, we've taken a decision. The club has taken a decision. Mikel Arteta's taken a decision that he can't have this shit in the squad. And he's not the only player that he's done this to. He's not the only player that he alienated. He's not the only player that he forced out towards the door. But all of those players have had something in common, which is a petulance, whether that be in in front of everybody on the pitch in Gendouzi's case or maybe behind the scenes in Mesut Ozil's. I just think for me, you know, we've we've done the right thing in terms of really working hard to rebuild the culture at this club. And if that means sometimes ripping out everything you have and starting again, you have to do it. And was there going to be pain during that process? Yes. Are people going to turn their noses up at the fact that, or be frustrated at the fact that we've only got around about eight, nine million pounds for him? Maybe. But it is what it is. And I'm not upset that he's gone. I'm just grateful that we managed to get something in and something that can hopefully go towards continuing to improve this squad. <clears throat> Afsar Gunner says, Harry, Gwenduzi is a young boy. You have to support young boys. So are Emil Smith-Rowe. So are Bukayo Saka. So is Martin Odegaard. So is Ben White. So is Aaron Ramsdale. So is So are so many of those players in and around that squad. And none of them have displayed the same bad attitude that Matteo Genduzzi has. And look, we're competing for a place in the Champions League next season. How can you knock the approach? How can you knock the decision to move him on? Are you saying that he would be in the midfield now ahead of Xhaka and Partey? Because I don't believe he would. Even if Matteo Genduzzi was at the club today and was, you know, rid of all the attitude issues and all the other problems that he's displayed, I don't think that he would he would be in the starting lineup. We moved him on, it's done, he's gone. And and I think that while there'll always be a little bit of, oh, you know, what could he have been? I can think of loads of players over the years. I know Nicholas Inelka went on to achieve brilliant things as a footballer, but he became a journeyman because his head wasn't right, because he had the wrong people advising him. You know. He could have achieved so much more. He could have led the line for Real Madrid for 15 years and nobody would have batted an eyelid. He was that good. He had that much quality. There's been a lot of plays. Think about Ravel Morrison when he broke onto the scene, how much people were talking about him. Think about how we used to talk about David Bentley back in the day. There have been so many players who have displayed incredible talent and never fulfilled it because mentally and in terms of their attitude, they just weren't quite right. Now, I'll go over to the poll that I've put in the live chat box, which you guys have been voting on throughout. And the, the question was, have Arsenal made a mistake not giving Matteo Genduzzi another chance at the club? There's been uh, quite a few votes so far. And 31% of you says no. We, uh, Sorry, say yes. Um, we have made a mistake. 69% though, which is an overwhelming majority, say that Arsenal were right to take the decision that they did with Matteo Genduzzi. Uh, let's take this one from Martin, who says, Big up, Harry. My only issue with letting Genduzi go is the price. Yet again, Arsenal get mugged off for pennies. Marseille will easily be able to cash in 
at least 40 plus million for him, in my opinion. See, I'm not convinced that they will, mate. I'm not convinced that they will. I think people will look at what they paid for him. I think people will look at the issues at Arsenal and feel like that's something they maybe don't want to take a gamble or a risk on. You know, this thing about Arsenal not selling players for the right amount of money, I get it. Because you look at some of the other deals and you think, well, how have they managed to get X amount for this player? And we can't get X amount for our players. I get all of that. But somebody's only worth what somebody's willing to pay. And if nobody was willing to pay for Matej I mean, Hertha Berlin didn't even want to take up that. You know, they had him on loan. They didn't take up the option to try and sign him on a permanent deal. In fact, they made it quite clear quite early that they had no intention of doing that. Marseille took him on, but again, with an option to buy the player come the end of this season. So, you know, nobody's been convinced about him. Therefore, if nobody's convinced about him, if clubs of Hertha Berlin and, and, and Marseille's sort of stature are not convinced, then how do you expect any of the clubs with big finances to look at it and go, well, it's all right, we'll have him. You know, you as I say, somebody is only worth what somebody else is willing to pay. And clearly the offers weren't there. The same can be said for Torreira. The same can be said for a lot of players that Arsenal have struggled to sell on for significant amounts of money. Harvey says, is there any sell-on clause that we know of? Not to my knowledge. Uh, not to my knowledge. I don't know for a fact 100%, but to my knowledge, I don't think that Arsenal have a sell-on clause. Uh, Tariq Talks, one of our members. Big shout out to Tariq. Make sure you click on his name in the chat and subscribe to his channel as well. He says, just because a player is successful at a different club doesn't mean the selling club had made a mistake. Lukaku is the best example of that. Yep. You know, there are a lot of examples of that. I mean, the one that always gets banded about and a lot of people kind of bring it up in the chat. I've seen it brought up in the chat today a couple of times is Serge Gnabry. It didn't work for Serge Gnabry at Arsenal. I think we made a mistake there and I think we let him go too early. But you couldn't have foreseen the development that he showed uh, having left the club at that point. And it's really easy to be hindsight merchants and look back and go, well, we, 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 we cocked that right up, didn't we? But sometimes you need to just accept that you don't always have foresight. You can't always look into your crystal ball and understand exactly what's going to happen. And... Um, and uh, with Matteo Genduzzi, I, I think that his attitude, along with the fact that we're trying to rebuild a new culture, the fact that we've gone all in on this manager and given him the autonomy to create the winning environment that Josh Kroenke recently spoke about, meant that there was no way back for Matteo Genduzzi, unfortunately. We, we also heard reports at the time to the effect of that he wouldn't apologise, in which case, you know, somebody makes a mistake We've all made mistakes. I've made plenty. You hold your hands up when you need to and you move on. Um, but, you know, Matteo Genduzzi didn't want to do that for whatever reason. And so that indicated to me again that the relationship between the player and manager was broken. Arsenal aren't going to sack Mikel Arteta. It was never a choice, you know, in the summer. It wasn't, oh, well, let's let's sort out for Matteo Genduzzi to be back next summer because we might not have Mikel Arteta. They've gone big on him. Mikel Arteta is, is Arsenal's guy, whether people like it or not. And they have shown time and time again, the club that is, that they will back him in moving these types of characters out. And he's done it on numerous occasions, even when it's cost us a shit ton of money to do so. 
in this instance, we've managed to bring back the money that we we laid out. But again, as I say, Mikel Arteta will not want to be in a position where he is forced to take decisions based on mistakes of the previous regime. He will not be held hostage by some of those bad transfers, i.e. we spent £72 million on Nicolas Pepe. Good player, lots of talent, has a lot to offer, but he isn't worth £72 million. And so Mikel Arteta doesn't go into every match day thinking, well, regardless of what I think of him, actually Arsenal paid £72 million for this guy, therefore I have to play him. If you If you start to kind of tie a manager to mistakes that were made prior to his arrival, what chance does he ever have of succeeding? And you look at Manchester United, they're a good example of that. You know, Cristiano Ronaldo is a bit of an issue now because he's not really delivering what they want him to deliver. But he's Cristiano Ronaldo. That's something that a, de a decision to sign him was taken by previous. You look at others. You look at the Paul Pogba's of this world. Big, big money spent. Has it worked out for him at Manchester United? No. The talent's there. But has it worked out? No, it hasn't. So is that Ralph Ragnick's fault? No, it's not. And, and this is the point I'm making. The, the, when you start tying managers to decisions that they had nothing to do with, it's very unfair. And you start judging them on a really unfair criteria. Now, I apologise if there's a couple of times where you catch me sneezing during this episode. I feel awful. But I'm trying to hit the mute button just ahead of them, uh, just ahead of the sneezes. So if you hear these random little pauses, that's probably what it is. Let's continue through the comments. Uh, Creambone66 says his mentality, personality and attitude wouldn't have fit this current team, regardless of his talent, in my honest opinion. Agreed. Uh, Sekaya says there were multiple infractions, hence why it was the correct decision from Mikel. Nikomo says the lines are always blurred when it comes to Mateo due to the proximity to Saliba. A lot is made out of nothing. Players come and go and he's clearly not rated by Arteta. Let him go in peace. Michael highlights the point that according to reports, uh, Mateo Genduzzi refused to apologise. Uh, Mint's gone in a little bit stronger. He says he's a mouthy little shit full of arrogance that we won't miss, in my opinion. Others have taken the opposite view. Others think that Mikel Arteta is a bit, a bit of a bully here, as I've seen a couple of you pop in the chat. Paul Nell says, I'm curious if the current locker room can sort out a young problem child like Guendouzi instead of the toxic group we had in the Bundesliga bastards, referring to the Ozils, the Kalasinaches, Mustafis, etc., etc. Uh, maybe, and maybe had what happened with Matteo Guendouzi occurred at a time where the rest of the ship was in a better order. Maybe Mikel would have given him another chance. Maybe Mikel would have taken disciplinary action and then given him that opportunity. But as, you, as, as has been pointed out already, we know that there were a few incidents. And at the time, I think more so than now, the dressing room dynamic was a problem. And perhaps Mikel used him to make a bit of an example of. Perhaps you could say it's unfair that he maybe got caught in the crossfire of that. But at the end of the day, you cross the line, you've got to redeem yourself. And he never did, and he never showed a willingness to do it. Paul James says in his loan spell in Germany, they didn't renew the loan or buy him. And the coach described him as immature, which speaks volumes about his character. Good riddance and a deal him and both teams are happy with. Alex George says... Uh, 
on Gwendouzi, you don't fall out with every manager you've played by under coincidence. True. Uh, Harvey says most of this is that people are against Arteta and everything he does is wrong. Even if it's better for Arsenal's individuals, don't go over the team. Yeah, agreed. The team takes precedent. Uh, let's keep rolling through the comments. We'll pick up a few more uh, on uh, on this. Uh, Danny Vater says, thanks for the great content, Harry. Also, plug the link to that hat. It's crispy. Thank you, mate. Uh, you can find it on Arsenal Direct. I will dig out the link at some point, but you can find it on the club's website. That's where I got it from. If you are joining us a little bit late, just a quick reminder of the headline. Matteo Genduzzi is joining Marseille on a permanent deal, believed to be around about £9 million. That was confirmed by Pablo Longoria, the club's president on an RMC sports show. And the Frenchman has signed a contract with the club until 2025. Speaking of plugs, I've got a very important plug uh, that we need to get out there. Uh, don't forget, if you haven't entered already, this competition ends tomorrow. If you want to have your chance of winning this Thierry Henry signed and framed Arsenal shirt, head over to our new partners. The link is in the description. Football prizes. You can enter and buy yourself a ticket for four ninety five. There are 99 tickets available uh, when I last checked, there were just a few left. So you want to get onto this quickly if it hasn't sold out already. But it's a prize you will not want to miss out on. Football prizes, Thierry Henry signed and framed Arsenal shirt in uh, in uh, partnership with the Chronicles of Aguna. You'd love to have that hanging on your wall, wouldn't you? Okay, uh, let's uh, move on. Let's. We're going to take a couple more of your comments, actually, on the Gwendouzi thing. And... Uh, and then we will, of course, uh, move on to another subject. Uh, Ekene says, Harry, is it only Arsenal fans that do this? Always mourning their former players. Look at Aubameyang. Yeah, probably. Probably. Vince <laughs> um, says, you've been out in the rain, Harry. You know it was the tears of the Tottenham and nothing to do with the weather. Do you know what, man? I, I've said this to you guys a million and one times, but I seem to catch all these colds, I swear, from my kids. They go to nursery. They come back. They got a cold. Before you know it, you've got it. Um, but yeah, not not been feeling great today. Hoping for a better day tomorrow. And I've got a lot of work tomorrow, a lot of radio work as well. So the last thing I need is that tingle in my throat because that's really uncomfortable and really awkward. Uh, OK, let's move on. Let's talk about Roman Abramovich. Now, it's understood that Roman Abramovich has put Chelsea Football Club up for sale. The Russian billionaire is facing sanctions, of course, because of the ongoing conflict in Ukraine at the moment and it's understood that he is desperate to get out and he wants to move uh, out of the club sooner rather than later. He did put out a statement the other day where he said that he'll be passing uh, the stewardship of the club over to the club's charitable trust. That has, from what I've read, been rejected by them. Uh, they didn't want to take that responsibility on, understandably, given the current situation. And now his, uh, his uh, representatives which is a New York-based bank. How ironic is that? You know, USA banging on about putting sanctions in or anyone putting sanctions in. Um, and now a, a firm from that part of the world is going to broker a deal for him. And it's the same with, with all countries. There's there's so much hypocrisy in this application of the sanctions. Um, you know, it's it, anyway, that's another subject for another day. But yeah, it's a New York-based firm that is uh, supposedly represented him. And Hans-Jörg Weiss, uh, a Swedish billionaire, along with Todd Bowley, 
of the LA Dodgers are preparing a joint bid, apparently, for the club. Roman Abramovich's representatives have indicated that they want bids, uh, indicative bids, they've called them, by Friday. So it shows you that they are in a desperate way and they're trying to move uh, this uh, th this club on as quickly as possible because Roman Abramovich doesn't want to have all his shit seized. And, and I get that, but, you know, I, this is interesting. It's an interesting story. I talked at the beginning about how Chelsea's emergence as a, a Premier League superpower had an impact on Arsenal and has had an impact on a lot of clubs. Um, and, and it has indeed. And, and it's a weird one because if you're a Chelsea fan, you'd have always known that Roman Abramovich had a sketchy past and you'd have always known that Roman Abramovich was involved in things that he shouldn't have been. You know, the source of his wealth was questioned. The source of the wealth of many Premier League club owners has been questioned in the years gone by. But what you've got is... is a difficult situation where the kind of fans have probably got fed up of all that talk and have almost separated between Roman Abramovich, the man, and Roman Abramovich, the football club owner. And as an owner, you know, putting all the other shit aside, the politics, which I'm not qualified to speak on aside, he's done a good job at Chelsea Football Club in terms of investing, putting his money where his mouth is. He's made bold, at sometimes questionable decisions that have led to success. But their success over the last 20 years or so has been incredible. And you can't deny that. But what does this mean for Chelsea moving forward? Is the next person that comes in going to take it on and see it as a, a a business that he can milk and a business from which he can make lots of money and a business from which he can turn over a profit? Or are they going to be as invested in the success on the pitch as Roman Abramovich was? I don't know. And, you know, that could change the landscape in the Premier League. And that could open the door for some other clubs to get right back up there again. So it's a really, really interesting situation. And, and I'm really interested to see how this is going to move, you know, how this is going to progress. Where are we going to end up in terms of Chelsea's ownership? But really uncertain times for the club. And you saw yesterday Thomas Tuchel getting a little bit kind of prickly in his press conference. And I understand why, by the way because he was constantly being asked political questions, questions about the ongoing invasion, as if he's the guy behind it, as if he's the guy who's ordered it or or is in the best position to speak about it. So it is unwanted attention on Chelsea Football Club at the moment. It's the kind of attention that, you know, is, is, not, is not ideal. And it's the kind of attention that they'll want to put a stop to as soon as possible. Roman Abramovich clearly feels the only way that that can happen is if he sells Chelsea Football Club. And from what we're reading and understanding, it looks as though he's hoping to do that very, very quickly and very, very swiftly. So, um, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. OK, uh, let's um, let's move through the chat on, on this particular subject. That Steve Stone says, I think Roman will struggle to sell it. Not worth anywhere near the reported asking price. Agreed, because look, I know Chelsea have been successful over the last 20 odd years or so, but they're not as big a football club as Arsenal, maybe they're more profitable. Well, no, they're not even more profitable because they're only profitable because Roman Abramovich has loaned them however much money he's loaned them. And, and because he's been bankrolling the whole project, they'd have made dreadful losses over the years. But in terms of fan base, they're not as big as Arsenal. Even with 20 years of great success, they're not as big as Arsenal. So to ask for a £4 million asking price, just £4 billion, I beg your pardon, not million, um, four billion pound asking price. It sounds a little bit crazy to me, but maybe he's uh, maybe he's going in high, knowing that people are going to lock him down, uh, knock him down. Sorry, I don't know. 
The signature says also this makes me question Roman's attempts to peacemake the solution purely um, was purely a publicity stunt just to buy him some time. Yeah, there were reports that Roman Abramovich was actively trying to broker peace. I mean, I had no idea that Roman Abramovich was so uh, deep into politics. You know, I thought he was a Russian oligarch who, like many, made his money, took his money, stole his money, however he got it, and disappeared and went abroad and, and started to put his interests elsewhere whilst maintaining a relationship. We knew he had a relationship with Vladimir Putin, but I didn't know he had the power or the influence to be able to get involved in negotiations. What? Um, you know, it's, 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 it's baffling to me, but yeah, it probably was a, a publicity stunt, mate. It probably was. I think you're right. Um, Mint says, do you think we dodged a bullet with Usmanov? We'd be right in it now if he bought Kronky out. Well, yeah, um, because I think we, we didn't, and you know, as football fans, we're not really, um, required to, I don't think always think about the, 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 the business side of it or, about the I don't know how to put this it's, it's a hard situation to kind of unpack because just everything's changed so much in the last few years there's so much more focus around morality and there's so much more focus about uh, around backing people that do the right things whereas in the past that was always known it, we always knew that people in powerful positions were quite often shady but we just put up with it and we just got on with it and at what point did it become a football fan's responsibility to become the moral compass of the world? And this is why, whilst I think we do have a responsibility now because the world's changed and people have changed and the landscape's changed, it's why I had a lot of sympathy for the Newcastle fans when people were kind of suggesting that they shouldn't be happy that their team is now going to be better and progress and be on the up off the back of that Saudi investment. Yeah, the source of the funds is questionable. Yes, we have issues with the way the Saudi government operate in some ways. But that's not, you know, Chris from the Gallagate Shots podcast problem. It's not him that's committed crimes and atrocities and human rights violations to acquire that wealth. He's just a Newcastle United fan that wants the best for his club. And 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 there's a point now where we're, we're I think we've hit this point where we're asking fans to no longer just be fans, but to take a lot more interest and a lot more responsibility in in the way they support their clubs based on where their owners and where the wealth has come from. And I think it's a weird place to be in. Um, and I don't really know how we should deal with it. Like, I never approved of, of Roman Abramovich being uh, dodgy. You know, I never approved of some of the reported activities that he undertook to attack, uh, to, you know, to get his wealth. But if I was a Chelsea fan, I would have enjoyed his ownership because it meant that my team was winning trophies and buying the best players and hiring the best managers. So I think there's this point where, yes, as football fans today in 2022, we probably know more than we ever have and probably have a right to or an oblig a moral obligation to question these things. But at the end of the day, we're still football fans and not really much more than that. And I, I just want, um, you know, I want people to understand that because you can have a go at Roman Abramovich. I don't think you should be having a go at Chelsea fans is the point I'm trying to make here. Um, some bloke says, do you think the government have told him he has a set period of time to sell before they apply the sanctions? That could quite possibly be the case. Uh, but in which case it's hypocritical again, isn't it? Because 
the government are sitting there saying we're going to stamp down on all these oligarchs and we're going to freeze all their assets and their cars and their flats and their apartments and their boats and yachts and we're going to take away everything from them but we're going to give them a bit of warning and allow them to sell all that stuff in the process i i get i get what you're saying and there's a real possibility that that's true but it just seems a little bit hypocritical to me um on the government's part casper peterson says the newcastle owners are really sad that they brought the wrong team well they could have been buying new uh, chelsea now a ready-made uh a ready-made elite club but yeah i know what you mean okay let's see what else uh, we've got in the chat box uh eli says big h will you be at watford on sunday i'm not i'm not going to be at watford away um i will be watching it on the television unfortunately uh not going to be at the away game but i will be at the upcoming home games mate um but no uh, um watford away is always so difficult to uh, get tickets for when you haven't got as many credits as you'd like uh robert Segal, how you doing mate he says i beg your pardon i just need to cough this out how quickly will Chelsea players and fans want to jump ship? Yeah, and I think that's why From if you're a Chelsea fan, it's important that the club is sold quickly and swiftly because the association with Roman Abramovich and his ties to Vladimir Putin obviously shines the club in a bad light by association. But again, I'll go back to what I said before. Your standard Chelsea fan that only cares about football isn't responsible for the war in Russia. So, yeah, we can say, like, you know, we, we will say that, you know, we, football fans are fickle. Football fans are horrible as well. You know, people will say it, but it's not, you know, Dave that supports Chelsea who's who's funding or is uh, is behind this war. And, and I think, you know, if, if you have that kind of attitude where you just want to persecute everybody who's got any link or tie to anything, even indirectly, then you just end up in a place where you're just creating more division, more hatred, more arguments, and it's just not good for anyone. So, yeah, I I won't be um, digging out Chelsea fans for this because it's not them. It's not their responsibility. Uh, Ivan says, uh, not saying they weren't right in doing so, but it's ironic that FIFA banned Russia from all competitions yet are content with hosting the World Cup. In Qatar, the morality thing is only when it's beneficial to them. 100%. 100%. Because what you get is, <coughs> I beg your pardon, what you end up with is a situation like like the Qatar World Cup where there are qu- clearly human rights violations. There are clearly issues with Qatar. But none of those issues have gone far enough for the noise not to be able to be drowned out and for it just to press on anyway. But this Russian war is, of course, so big and and is such a major talking point and it's somebody it's something sorry that everybody's condemned they have no choice but to do that the noise is too loud basically whereas with qatar there is noise but they've managed to keep it at a relatively low volume and they've managed to keep it uh from really kind of having it's had an impact but it's you know we haven't got people saying i'm not going to go and play in the world cup in qatar you know not not any not a lot of people anyway not um you, you haven't got the major nations going you know we're not taking part in this because of human rights atrocities and etc cetera, etc cetera. so the noise with qatar it's not quite as loud as this and therefore they're able to ignore it and push it under the carpet okay guys let's take some of your questions for the last sort of 10 or so minutes of the show uh just apologize again uh for the the brief uh pauses 
uh, in the audio just because I'm trying to mute it before I cough my guts out, before I sneeze and all of that jazz. Uh, please do hit the like button if you haven't done so already. We're about halfway up to the 100 likes target that we set at the start of every stream. Uh, let's try and get there between now and the end. There's definitely enough of you watching. Let's revert back to our poll. Have Arsenal made a mistake? Not giving Matteo Genduzzi another chance at the club. 30% of you say yes. 70% of you say no. Basically, Arsenal were right not to give him another opportunity. Okay, what do you guys uh, want to know? What do you guys want to ask for the last few minutes of the show? Uh, looking forward to hearing from you guys. Let's take this one from Riddy, who says, Harry, don't you think that the money from the sale would go into Putin's hands, which makes it difficult for any bank to get involved? I have no idea whether Roman Abramovich's money goes to Vladimir Putin. I, I think he's probably like, you know how you see in American politics, and I don't know it too well, but you get kind of sponsors, donors, don't you, of, of politicians and parties. I'd imagine that Roman Abramovich is some kind of donor or sponsor to Vladimir Putin's regime. I don't know. You know, I'm speculating here. But the money wouldn't end up with Putin, I don't think. I think they've, you know, they've done a lot to kind of make it more difficult for, for that money to end up there. But, yeah, it, it just feels to me like, you know, sanctions need to be in place now, today, right, to really make these people suffer. And you've got Roman Abramovich inviting bids by Friday. Now, I know it's a big set. You're talking about a potential £4 billion business transaction. Isn't going to happen overnight. But if he does manage to sell the club before and then the sanctions come down on him, it makes you think, what was the point? Because uh, he's got his money and he's going to sail off into the sunset. Um, the signature says, are we going to end up preventing Russian athletes competing? Could you imagine if the world did this with other wars, completely just eradicating people on their nationalities. I've got a lot of sympathy here for, for, for the Russian people because a lot of Russian people are anti-Putin. A lot of Russian people have been that way for many, many years. I know a few Russian people and they've always said to me that they're anti-Putin and that he shows the country in a really bad light and that the decisions that he takes and the, um, you know, the stances he takes on certain issues are not representative of the people. And I feel, I really do feel for the athletes who have been training years and years and years for events and worked incredibly hard and dedicated their lives to particular sports and professions who are now being told they won't be able to compete because of their nationality. I understand the whole do it under neutral colours, neutral flags, which is something that's been banded about. And I think that's probably fair. Let them compete because they are not uh, the culprits for this war, they are not accountable for this war. If you want to, you know, really do damage to Russia as a nation, um, then don't recognise it. You know, take the Russian flag out, take all of that out of the picture. But the, the individual athletes, I, I think it's really harsh to punish them. I really, really do. Um, that's just my view on it. And some people would disagree with that, but I think it is harsh to basically penalise individuals for the decision of one madman. Ty Gunasaurus says, when's your next match commentary? Not on one this week, mate. Um, back again next week, I think. Um, so I'll keep you guys posted uh, via Twitter and via uh, this channel as well. But thanks for asking. Uh, Nikoma says, the influx of these billionaires in football has people turning a blind eye to blatant atrocities. Today it's the Russians, tomorrow it's the Saudis. Who knows, it might be the Cronkies in no time at all. 
Yeah. Uh, Akene Ogbodo says, Harry, if you elect your politician, you are responsible for him. It's not harsh. Yeah, but are they fairly elected, these guys? That's the point, right? Are these elections fair? And and then what do you do when you're an athlete going to enter into the Olympic Games? Do you have to do a questionnaire on whether you voted for Putin or not? And even then you could lie. The point I'm trying to make here is that most of these guys who have been clinging on to power in various parts of the world who have lots and lots of people against them and who have made stupid, bad decisions and who become essentially dictators, they've not been put in uh, by democratic means. You know, we all know that rigged elections, et cetera, et cetera. And look, Enrich backs this up as well. How can anyone think that Putin was actually elected? You know, he's been in, I was looking at this earlier. I think he's been in power since 1991, if I'm not mistaken. Let me just double check that because I don't want to be giving out fake news and all that jazz. Prime Minister in office. Uh, he was in office as assumed office uh, in office. I'm just having a look at this. He's been in and around all of it uh, for a long, long time. Since, the, since 2000, I think. I beg your pardon. Is that right? I can't be bothered to find the details now, but I know it's been a long time and way longer than any politician should ever be in power. There you go. Casper says 1999. So, yeah, mad, mad. Okay, um, I am going to leave it there. Lots of great questions. I know we kind of took a, a bit of a diversion onto the whole Russia and, and Abramovich issue, but I thought it was worth discussing given that, as I say, Chelsea's competitiveness, Chelsea's state of play, has a direct impact on the Arsenal. And once again, I want to finish the show by just wishing those who are suffering at the moment and who are going through a really difficult time in Ukraine uh, all the best, safety, good health, and uh, and hopefully this conflict comes to an end sooner rather than later. Catch you all soon. listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.